Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the CPA Advisory Show. My name is Chris Hervishan. I'm here along with my co-host, Jeremy. How are you today? Doing well, Chris. Thanks. And looking forward to having this great conversation with you and with our guest, Shannon. Yes, this is going to be lit for sure. So Shannon Weinstein, <laughs> she's got her own podcast. And Jeremy, you'll you'll be fascinated to know this. This is the first ever guest that we've had that has a number one podcast. <laughs> True story. She is number one in what country, Shannon? Uh, I have hit number one in entrepreneurship in Namibia. Very proud Namibia. of that. Namibia. <laughs> she told me that. I, I honestly had to get a map out. But anyway, Shannon is running a small cash firm, much like we are. She is an absolute marketing genius. I've known her going all the way back to college, and she's still friends with me. So that I don't know what that says about anybody, but here we are. So Shannon, first question that we that we like to ask when you're done laughing, but how do we yeah. define, how do you define CAS? Uh, I honestly don't know. Um, it, it's, <laughs> it's everything and it's nothing all at the same time. Uh, CAS, I mean, it's client accounting services, I think is how most people, and some people say advisory. So it's actually really subjective. Um, I, and I'll be honest, I very seldom use the term among accountants and uh, among clients because it is kind of a vague term. Uh, but I, I would, I, if I had to define it, I would say it's, you know, uh, a mix of, uh, a blend of accounting, bookkeeping and CFO services that otherwise wouldn't have a name. <laughs> awesome. So what is your firm and what does it do? And how do you, how do you wrap that up into some definition of CAS <laughs> and just <laughs> internally for your own, yeah. for your own purposes? Yep. So, uh, so what we do, and, and my company is called Financial Solutions. What we do is provide fractional CFO services and tax strategy. And how we define the fractional CFO service is really uh, we include the bookkeeping. We also do a monthly review and a quarterly strategy call with the client, and we also include uh, the tax preparation service in that. So we try to be the one-stop shop for everything, but we'll charge a standard monthly fee that encompasses all of that, which I know you guys talked about on a recent episode around that, that value-based pricing. Um, we'll typically embed, based on a rough estimate of how much time it takes to do something, we'll factor that in and uh, charge our price accordingly for those services. So we basically have just a couple of different offers to keep it simple and streamlined. And then also the clients know that they're going to pay the same amount every month on the same day every month, just like a subscription service. Do you have a particular kind of client? Do you have an ideal client or a niche that you're, you're focusing on? Or is this available to anybody and everybody running a business? So we focus on online service providers, so mostly online coaches, consultants, uh, professional services. That's really who we're speaking to. Now, there are other folks who manage to make their way into our roster um, through referrals, uh, but generally who we are trying to target is a very specific type of uh, online service-based business. Do you think that particular industry, because I, I deal with a similar kind of uh, niche, and so do you think that lends itself more toward this model because uh, part part of the inspiration for that episode that you referred to where we were talking about pricing was uh, an, an, a case made by another accountant who has a very different niche um, where he argues that this kind of subscription model maybe doesn't work um, for that niche and it really doesn't work for certain kinds of work such as tax prep. Do you think that 
that is something that uh, different firm owners with different niches need to take into account? Or do you think this subscription approach that include that's all encompassing, like you're describing, where it's it's books, advisory, and tax, is, can that work for any niche or any firm? That's such a good question. I, yeah, I I think it can. So I don't think it's a decision at the niche level. I think it's a decision at the individual client and their paradigm. So like you could have a very modern type of business owner, very tech savvy and very familiar with subscription model who maybe craves that, but they're in an older industry, right? So I, I would challenge that to say, is that the client saying, please don't do that? Or is it the professional just assuming that it can't be done? So in all of my uh, tax uh, subscriptions with my clients, I include what I call communication and representation, which basically to the client means if you have any questions or if you get any correspondence from IRS or your state tax agency, I want you coming to me, right? I don't want you to feel like there's going to be an extra bill. I don't want you to feel like I'm starting the clock because you have a question or you've got, you're limited to a certain number of emails, right? I want that, uh, that relationship incentivized on the client side, right? Um, even though that might be more work for me sometimes, of course, right? Um, but then I, you know, on the flip side of that, I just charge a higher price, right? If, if there's going to be more interaction with that client. Um, so yeah, I think that's a perfectly reasonable approach to handling the tax side of the engagement under a subscription model. Yeah, it's true. There's, um, I, I just say it's founded in trust. Like that's what we're really selling is trust us that we'll take care of you. A lot of clients also just want that person they can go to when they get an IRS letter, not if, when they get an IRS letter, because they're going out like crazy. Um, and they may or not, may not be right. So you want to have somebody looking out for you that knows how to interpret them, knows what to do with them, and then also can answer questions throughout the year and do that communication. So what are the tactics that you're using in order to actually get your clients to talk to you about tax stuff throughout the course of the year? That's one of the challenges that we've had. So we have, you know, we tell our clients, you need to book a call with us, right? Like we have scheduled cadence of calls. So we, part of what we're selling is a quarterly strategy call with our tax strategy clients. Uh, I don't do any tax prep clients only. You're either a tax strategy or your CFO. So we're doing more than just taxes. That's just kind of the one of the deliverables we have. But uh, if you're on our tax strategy service, we're meeting on a quarterly basis. Um, and if we're not, we're following up. Like my assistant has, uh, you know, when was the last time we met with this client? And if it goes for more than a month since we've talked to them, we have some type of alerting system, you know, like <laughs> red, if they're, you know, not responding to us, ghosting us, right? Uh, we try to catch those proactively. And that's also kind of the, the combination of us having kind of a high ticket service, high touch means that we don't have to have as many clients. We're not playing a volume game. So I remember, and I know if I have like 20 clients, yeah, I can list them all on a piece of paper and I can look at that list of names every day and go, I, you know, hey, I haven't talked to that person in a while. Uh, so it, it's a really manageable volume and, you know, you can, they can get that high touch, higher level service out of it by having us proactively think of ways that we can help them throughout the whole year. And then they see a lot more value in it. Okay, so let's not skip past the alerting system. So we've got a similar system. We run it through Airtable and my VA looks at it, mm -hmm. manages it. I'm curious as to what yours is because that is information that might be helpful to somebody who's running a, a, a practice like, like yours. So it's really rudimentary. It's probably not as you know developed as yours is, but because we only have about like 20 to 30 clients, 
it's just com- just comes down to every month doing a scan of the most recent because we'll have in our files, you know, in our notes page on their CFO report, the last day we met with them. So they'll go through and go through those dates and me and my team are constantly monitoring that when we're doing client work to say, when's the last time we talked to this client? Uh, so I feel like it's just very visible in front of mind usually, as opposed to a, like a push alert where, you know, we see that and go, oh, hey, that's a red alert. Hey, uh, Courtney, who's my assistant, I'll say, hey, Courtney, we got to do some outreach to this client. How much does the accounting work that you're doing for clients factor into that? Because on one hand, it's, it, you know, it it's easy to just say, um, you know, keep track of it's been more than a month since we talked to that client. But, you know, it, we can go through like a period of the of the year or the, the revenue cycle where just nothing really happened in that month. Right. I, you know, I don't I don't I never really felt the urge to reach out to my accountant or attorney or advisor or whatever. But, are, you know, how does the accounting work factor into that? Like, are you looking for mm-hmm. transactions? Are you looking for significant changes in the P&L or the balance sheet? Like what? What's the the controller and the CFO uh, role play into the client relationship as well? And I guess the reason I'm asking that is because I, I've I've worked with accounting firms and I and I've known firm owners who don't want the bookkeeping responsibility. They don't want that kind of. They just want to be the tax you know preparer. They just want to be the tax advisor. And I think they're leaving a lot mm-hmm. on the table um, there when they don't think of themselves as playing a vital role in those functions as well. Yep. Those are the people I hire. So if you just want to be the tax person, come work for me and I'll do, you know what I mean? Like I, I, we serve as the umbrella and then we find the, the best of breed in each area and say, all these people are going to be on your team of Avengers here. Right. So, uh, so I contract out the bookkeeping. I don't do it, but I align my client with a bookkeeper based on the three or so that I work with that I trust. I'll say you're an in-network bookkeeper, like uh, like insurance, right? Like you have to go to an in-network provider for me to do your taxes. So somebody I trust, somebody I can talk to and I can have backstage conversations with, as I put it. So, um, so that's a big factor for me. And as far as what the controller CFO type service is, so every month we have a checklist. We go through and we get the books by the 10th of the month. Between the 10th and the 15th, we go through a very strict checklist of, you know, questions about performance compliance strategy, which are our three dimensions of the CFO service. So it's performance, you know, how like trends of revenue expenses, cash flow, like what's going on in the books that needs addressing? Is there like a longstanding ask my accountant transaction clarification we haven't gotten or things we need to bug the client about? Um, compliance, which is how is owner's compensation looking as an S corp owner right now? Uh, are they distributing over basis? you know, are we, are you, and then are you paying your estimated taxes or saving enough for your estimated taxes? Then we get into strategy. Are you doing your accountable plan reimbursements? Are you doing your Augusta rule rent? Are you implementing the stuff that we've given you? So in all, and they're actually phrased in terms of questions, these checklists. So I actually have my controller go through and she'll answer these questions. And undoubtedly every month there is something to say. So like we don't have to to dig out and try to find something to say of value or like go through the books. We're answering these questions. And if any of these are not the perfect response, then that warrants us to do a monthly check-in with the client potentially if they have something to share or a Loom video uh, that we always send them, which is, hey, we've gone through your CFO report and here's what we're seeing right now. And here's what we think you should focus on over the next four weeks until we check in again. And that is 
very much appreciated by the client because even though they don't necessarily want to take their time out to meet with us, if we have nothing compelling, having that type of proactive communication builds trust and knows that they're what we're looking out for them. Yeah, I love that. I I think part of the issue yep. with this sort of um, you know, advancing beyond just where your tax preparer, where your bookkeeper into this more controller and CFO level services that for a lot of firms that have only known those ways of operating, it just seems like so much more work that they have to do. But you can figure out the parts that you want to do in your firm, the parts that you don't, right? You can figure out what parts of that you want to contract out, whether it's to a service like Gusto for payroll or to an outside bookkeeper, right? Yep. I love that idea of having your network, right? Of you have to use these two or three bookkeepers, right? Or, you know, um, but then also, uh, it, you know, you, it, saying that you'll have a monthly meeting with a client doesn't mean you have to spend two or three hours every month meeting with that client. Sometimes it could be that 10 or 20 minute loom video that is the uh, replacement for that meeting, right? You can do some of this asynchronously yeah. and not, you know, significantly increase the time that you're investing into each client. Yeah. It, and to be honest, it saves time because look at how much time we're spending in emails, like mulling over what we're saying and what we're not saying and how we're wording it and, and writing paragraphs that I feel impersonal. What we're doing is saying, hey, let's discuss this on the monthly check-in. So now we've, we've concentrated the time we're spending with that client into that half hour. And our monthly check-ins are a half hour each, and they're driven by the client. We do not bring an agenda to that meeting. We say we offer you a monthly check-in option. If you have something to share with us that you want to, like, hey, I'm having a launch coming up. So Jeremy, you know our client base, right? I'm launching a program. I'm launching a course. Okay, great. Let's talk about it. I want to do a new product. Okay, let's talk about cost of goods. Let's talk about all this stuff. So we we encourage them to do that and proactively. We give them an opportunity in a forum to communicate proactively. And then we do a quarterly deep dives on all of these types of questions and make sure that all this stuff is in line. But if we're seeing anything, we'll definitely reach out to them and say, you know, you're distributing over basis, you know, keep those personal expenses in control, please. You know, and, and say that stuff throughout the whole year so that come tax time, tax prep is super simple and easy. We could probably do it in February for the S-Corps. Um, and also, like you said, reducing the time, we just go deep, not wide. So like we spend more time with each client, but like I said, we have under 30 clients. So it's like, I don't mind spending more time on them and knowing way more about them and feeling really in depth and feeling in control and, and knowing what's going on. I love how you're structuring that and how you're thinking about that and how you're delivering that service. I'm curious, how are you marketing that? What are some of the strategies and the tactics? Mm -hmm. How are you communicating that out to the public and bringing clients in? I'm, I'm honestly playing off the fact that most CPAs bill based on their hours. Uh, you don't really know what they're doing. You don't know what they're doing throughout the whole year. You're not really sure what you're getting other than a tax return. And one of our core values in my company is our value is transformational, not transactional. So I approach my marketing that way to communicate that there's a transformation. Like hitting the pain points of you feel, you feel like you're not in control of your numbers. You don't feel like you have a grip on this. You're using your cash balance to dictate your spending. And then you find yourself with a huge tax bill because you didn't plan. Um, and you're, you're basically driving around without a GPS. And 
that's the thing. Like it's using these analogies. You're driving around without a GPS. You don't have the right guidance. That person in your pocket that you can go to and your business coach doesn't know enough about this stuff to truly advise on how to keep more of what you're making. They can tell you how to make more money. They can tell you how to use these different strategies. But if you're pouring water into a bucket with a hole in it, it doesn't matter. So what we do is we come in and we'll help you make sure you're keeping all that money that you're earning and that you're, uh, you're able to grow and scale confidently knowing that there's a plan in place with intention. And that's the biggest thing that we try to market as a CFO service is just making sure that they understand that we've got their back and it's based on trust. All of my marketing is based on building trust with the client as opposed to a transactional, here are the features of what we do. Instead, it's here's the benefits, what you'll get from working with us. So how are you building that trust and where are you building that trust? Where are you communicating this message? So I've got my podcast um, for all those people in Namibia. Your podcast name? Uh, my podcast is called Keep What You Earn. So I've got my podcast um, and I'm actually really active on Instagram. I have an email uh, sequence that goes out uh, twice a week. Back up, yeah. back up. Instagram handle is what? It's so at Shannon K. Weinstein on Instagram. Uh, and I also have a, uh, I have that. And I also, one of the biggest ways I market, which I was not expecting. And the biggest ways that I've earned money is text message marketing. You got to explain that, right? You well, don't stop <laughs> okay. there. Tell us. Yeah. What, like, what are you doing? Tell us about text I, message I marketing. How does it work? What is people it? Send me money. How to <laughs> tell me more. That's what it feels like, guys. I sold 20 grand last month from text messaging. So it's crazy. So, so what happens, and I guess this is also very specific to a niche too, because let's be honest, online service providers are probably your millennials who are probably on their text messages all the time. You, it's really about knowing who your ideal client is and meeting them where they are on their phone. So whatever app they're in, be there. Uh, and where what's happening is uh, I'm sending out uh, text messages in like... Think about how we send emails, right? Email marketing, you're sending quote unquote newsletters uh, out to clients and sharing information, sharing value, right? What I'm doing is in more of a direct punch, I'm sharing tips via text message. Or when the uh, Inflation Reduction Act came out, I immediately jumped on my text message list of 250 entrepreneurs and I said, hey, did you know that this Inflation Reduction Act just came out? I'm going to do a quick little recap for you and tell you how it affects you as a business owner. And I sent uh, a video of me, just like the one minute video talking about what the, the key elements were of it. Way faster than writing an email, to be honest with you, and way more effective because I got responses. So the difference between the text message marketing and the email marketing for me has been people are inclined to respond. I end text messages with a question. I will engage with them. I'll send them voice notes. They'll know it's me. It's very personal. And this is all through an app called Community that I use. So this is not on my personal phone. They do not have my number. They do not have any access to me other than that app. Um, my assistant can go in and manage those messages if need be. Uh, you know, as, as my, one of my coaches put it, um, it's, it's, not, it's only not scalable when it's not scalable. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm on there sending direct voice messages. I'm managing it. Uh, but it's built an immense amount of trust and quote unquote intimacy with the people that I work with because they feel like they can talk to me and they're way more open via text message than they are in, let's say, the Instagram DMs. Okay, so you're using an app 
so your interface is an app so it's not your personal text message app it's like on your phone or whatever yep. but the clients or the potential clients interface is their standard text message app on their phone correct okay so of the 250 people that you sent this to about the inflation reduction act how many responses did you get just so we can kind of get like a gauge uh, i'll say between 10 and 15 actual responses a lot of like tap likes but everyone opened it it's like a 99 percent open rate for text messages as opposed to emails which you'd be lucky if you get 20 percent um our email open rates are really good but email doesn't start a conversation email is a one directional thing for me to build awareness and insert my name in your inbox you're seeing it twice a week but that's all i'm really doing with my email strategy where i really interact the most with potential clients is probably via the community text messaging or um or if they go to my website and schedule a consult so are you uh connecting or, or integrating the, across those different media? Like if I, if you, if you send an email, am I also getting a text message about the email? Or if you post something to Instagram, am I getting a text message about that? Like how much, how much, um, you know, am I, am I getting notified about things going on on your other channels? Or are you seeing each of these as a distinct, uh, you know, way of communicating? They're relatively distinct. Now there are people who are getting the emails and they're getting the text messages and they're following me on Instagram, which is great. Um, it means I'm more omnipresent for them. But what I'm trying to do is not say the same thing over and over again where it gets annoying. So in the email, I share a recap of my podcast for the week and a recap of my most recent blog. And they can go and check that out. Now they're on my website. Now they're browsing around, right? I'm just giving them excuses to browse my quote unquote store. So, hey, come on in, check this out. Um, but they're also text messaging with me about their personal situations. They're sharing, um, you know, more of their story there. Also, there's a mechanism in community, by the way, this is all a, an app designed for this. So you can segment. So this is how it actually works. They come in and they text me. They're also prompted to text me one of the following emojis based on where they're at in their business. Are you a brand new entrepreneur? Are you established and looking to scale? Or are you just looking for some money mindset tips? Based on those three things, they'll text me back an emoji based on that prompt. You know, like money mindset, send me a light bulb, right? And what will happen is they will be enrolled into a weekly subscription on Mondays that I pre-schedule for three months at a time. So this takes me about a half hour to an hour, or my assistant, about an hour to schedule three months worth of content that they will get. So this is a very small time investment for them, for me appearing in their text messages every single Monday with some type of tip, and they're really well received. I have a very low churn rate for those. Um, and then if they're an early stage entrepreneur, let's say every Wednesday, you're going to be getting a quick tax tip from Shannon. So all I have to do is write about a sentence, maybe share a link to an article, something of value. Hey, did you see this? And the response I've gotten to that is, wow, Shannon, I feel like you're looking out for us and I'm getting more from you for free than I'm getting from my CPA I pay for. And that's where the trust is built. Yeah, I, I like that, especially the segmentation part. You know, I, I think that is an issue at all levels of the marketing and sales process, right? You see a lot of firm owners complaining about, how many different consultations or discovery calls they have to do with and that so many of them just wind up with tire kickers 
or people that aren't good fits for the firm. And there's no qualification process, right? There, there's no lead generation process that's built in there, right? Those people shouldn't even be getting on your calendar, right? Like they should be selecting themselves Correct. out of that process, right? So yeah, I think that's really cool that, you know, you're using something that not only is helping you build up that list, but then is also helping you either weed out people that, you know, self-select them out of that list, or they put themselves in the right bucket so that you're giving them the information that they really want. Right. I can see from the moment that they interact with me, I basically know how far they're going to get on my customer journey at least, or at least in the near future. So then if they're going to ascend into a one-on-one client, they're probably a certain type of profile. So I actually ask them, Hey, are you in this bucket? Are you trying to grow and scale your company beyond six figures? If so, give me like the tree emoji or something for growth, right? Or the plant. And then I'll say, okay. Uh, and if th that's them, then they're going to get a very specific type of message that's going to point them to my CFO service. If not, in their early stage, they're going to get pointed in the direction and be led down the path of buying my courses or um, enrolling in my community, listening to my podcast, and just being part of that ecosystem, but knowing they're probably not a good fit for one-on-one -on -one just yet. So how are you actually gathering people's phone numbers? What, what is prompting them to give you their phone number? Two major things right now, and it can vary. So one is, if, if you go to my website, the first thing that pops up is, do you want text tax tips just sent directly to you via text message? If so, drop your number here. Now, that is just what that prompts is community to start the process of, hey, this is Shannon's information. Send a, send a message here, right? It, it, it basically starts a text message to me. They have to initiate the correspondence. I actually don't have their phone numbers. I don't have your phone number if you click that. Um, that's protected. But what I do have is your name and I can interact with you. So I don't have your number. I can't call you and you can't call that number. So it's, it's very much a, a two-way communication that is convenient for the prospect or the audience member, whatever you want to call it, follower. Very convenient for them and uh, also manageable for me in a concentrated area. So uh, I'm not collecting phone numbers at all and there's no like privacy invasion. Interesting. So all of this sounds fairly complicated and fairly involved, right? So how much time are you actually spending on marketing and sales? And then how, how do you have any time left over for client work? I know that that's something that everybody's probably wondering at this point. I, so the process that I follow, I probably spend about an hour and a half to two hours a month on marketing total because I've outsourced a lot of it, but you'd never know because we have a really clear message. So the first, the way to minimize the amount of time you spend on marketing is to get super clear about who you're talking to and what your message is, because then you can articulate that to someone else and delegate a lot of the doing and the execution. I have a copywriter who writes all my Instagram posts. Most people who find that out are very surprised about that, but I approve the copy every month for a month at a time. And I sit there for about a half hour. I read the copy. I make comments. I'll make adjustments and I'll say, good to go. And we schedule it. Um, I write about two blog articles a month using copywriting AI to help me get through it faster. Uh, review it, post it. I do the podcast episodes about 10 minutes a piece, and I'll record eight in a single session in about an hour. Uh, the text messages that I've pre-scheduled, I write in about 45 minutes for a whole month. So when you really add it up, it's a couple hours, maybe two to three hours a month 
in reality to be present on all of these different platforms consistently. And I realize that accountants don't typically have a podcast like we do. So you cut that out and you're looking at just a couple hours a month if you're willing to uh, invest in getting your messaging really honed in. So as a CPA, how do I even find a copywriter? Like, what am I looking for? What is that skill set? How am I feeding them information that even they even know how to write that copy to communicate to my audience? That's the tough thing, too. And here's what's crazy is the girl who does my copywriting and my social media is 22 years old. But she writes like a 15-year season CPA, which is crazy. Um, it's It's people who have worked with people like you or at least... To be honest with you, any really skilled copywriter, no matter their industry expertise or their technical expertise, believe it or not, if you just find a really good copywriter who can use technology and use their skills to to message properly uh, through the art of words, you can, If again, it, it starts with how good are you at teaching them your voice and how you and what message you want your, your uh, reader to take away, because then they can fill in the rest. And then you can also adjust and correct for any like very technical things. But I would say if you're on social media or you're doing blogs, emails, generally the people who are reading these things don't need to know the IRS code references. They don't need to know the exact technical stuff. They just need to know what is in it for me. What does this mean for me? And you can keep it very simple and high level while still adding value. So I think it's also speaking in words that your prospect or client will understand. And in order to do that, that's actually a great perspective to have a copywriter who has no idea what, what you do, because they can, from the perspective of a reader, they can actually uh, help you with, this is too complicated, I don't understand what it means. And that's actually feedback for you, not for them. I think that's a great point because the... Uh... I, I think once you become a professional in a field where there's so much at stake, right? There's so much financially and potentially even legally for clients at, at stake and for ourselves as practitioners, it's really daunting the notion of, well, I'm just going to write up this quick blog post and just put it out there because it's immediately, oh my God, what if somebody actually reads that and follows the advice and then they lose a million dollars? Am I liable for that, right? Like, is that is that my head on the chopping block? Because somebody read a blog post I wrote six months ago and, you know, in 10 minutes and now it's out there and people are actually doing what I told them to do. So I think there's a lot of, you know, concern in the field that would, you know, prevent people from wanting to do that, right? There's, there's the time component, which, you know, you discussed already of just, I don't know if I have time to do that. And then, if you were to actually sit down at the keyboard and start typing out these words, I know when I do this and, and, you know, this is something I'm trying to do on a daily habit have been for about a month now is, you know, the first place my mind goes is, wow, what if somebody actually does this and it doesn't work out? Like, you know, that that's an issue. So it's really interesting that not only are you, you, you seem comfortable with that, right? Like you're putting that out there, not only in terms of an email or a blog post, but you're texting people this, right? Um, and then at the same time, yeah. you're getting help from you know non-practitioners, right? To to make sure that that phrasing is right. It just reminds me of the way IRS will publish their guidance, and it's like you said, it's not referencing the code, it's not referencing the regulations. It's written in relatively general terms, and everything is you know written in such a way of like, hey, you need to you know talk to your tax advisor, make sure this is true in your specific case. But in general, this is the way the rule works, and I I think we can think in those more general terms and terms that, you know, what's actually going to help the general public as opposed to, you know, are we writing this in some, you know, in a way that would get published in the Journal of Accountancy, right? Or the tax advisor or something like that. 
Yeah, but the the reader isn't exactly. a reader of exactly. the Journal of Accountancy. So the what you're doing is you're writing for other CPAs. But what's happening is when you're when you just say it's kind of like a recipe. It's like you don't have to give the exact recipe on how to bake it. You can just say, "Hey, banana bread is delicious. You should go make one." And it's like, "How do I do that?" Well, that's where I come in. <laughs> and that's when someone cookbook. allergic to bananas right? reads your recipes, so, right? <laughs> and, and now you've got a lawsuit on your hands, right? right? But we're not in the business of giving you the whole recipe in the article. We're basically making you, it's an awareness effort of, hey, sections 179 is expiring. What does that mean? And saying what that actually means. And then, but going just far enough where they couldn't just take this and implement. And by, and of course, there's a disclaimer on everything we do. This is not individual tax advice. This is for educational purposes only. But we, you know, we, we just want to turn into like Sesame street level information stuff that like I learned because my dad was a CPA. I learned this stuff when I was 12 or 14. So the way he explained it to me is how I then regurgitate it back and say, it's kind of like this. And clients really take to that because they understand, oh, that makes more sense now. Also clients just like weight loss or health advice. I can say all day long, eat your broccoli, eat your broccoli, eat your broccoli. No one does it stop eating sugar, stop drinking, eat more vegetables, right? There are plenty of people out there doing that. No one does it. Why? Because they need accountability and they need someone to help them implement. So what they're really paying me for is implementation, not information. So I think, I think accountants in general and practitioners overestimate how much information is really going to motivate somebody. Uh, in reality, they're not going to go do anything with that information. They're probably going to say, Oh, that's a good point. I should call that person to get help with that. I, I don't. And if you have someone who is going to go and take that type of action, then they weren't waiting for your blog post to go do that. You know, I, I don't think it's going to be that much of that's, an inspiration to to go do that. And I wouldn't strive for that. That's always how I think about countering that objection that, you know, we're giving away the keys to the store, right? Like we're telling people how to go prep their own 1040. Like, no, we're not, right? We're not telling them, you know, this number goes on this line. We're still going to do that work for them because they're not going to want to do it. They want to get the gist of it, but they don't want to know how to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. How many of your clients actually read their tax return? Um, of mine? Uh, just, just in general, either of you. I, I can count one. Oh, yeah. They, they don't know how to. I mean, we try to, like, I think, Chris, you and I mentioned this before in a conversation, but, like, we'll send them a loom mm -hmm. and walk them through it because I don't want them signing something they don't understand. Um, also, if they if I send the return and, and, the, and the loom is not viewed because, you know, how we can see that. So the, the loom hasn't been viewed and they sign the return, no joke, three seconds after I sent the DocuSign, I actually call them and go, eh, can I call them BS on this one? <laughs> do you really understand this? Cause this is a serious thing. Um, but like I said, I can do that because a lower client count, I can pay attention to those details and make sure that they fully understand and that they're on board with that. Um, but yeah, they, they don't know what they're reading in reality. And I wouldn't expect them to really understand it. I just want them to understand the, the high level picture of what story this tax return is telling and that they agree with it. Cool. So we've talked about text message marketing, if I can get that out. Mm-hmm. Tell us about newsletters. And the reason I'm going to ask you about a newsletter is because we did have a conversation after we recorded your podcast, mm -hmm. actually, um, where you said, don't ever use the word newsletter. So tell us about that. Yeah, I hate that word. All right. Tell us about that. It's like Kaz. Use it among your accountant friends, but never say that to a client. They have no idea what you're talking about. So uh, very bluntly, uh, <laughs> no client wants your newsletter in terms of, 
if you put, sorry, Chris, if you, if you put on your website, subscribe to our newsletter, again, you're just handing out a plate of broccoli and saying, eat this. So it's convince me, give me some ranch dressing or some Velveeta for crying out loud before I eat that. Like, what are you, what is the value to me for this? Like, why, why should I subscribe to get more emails and stuff in my inbox, which is already getting ridiculous in 2022, how many emails we all get um, to the point where like, we're just deleting stuff too, because it's just too stressful to have such a big inbox. So we're looking for excuses to delete our emails. Uh, my opinion is, that you need to be offering something of value. So yes, I send two emails a week, but I never use the word newsletter to describe them. What it is, it's an email email communication that goes out, email marketing, right? But in order to get them subscribed into my email marketing, I don't just say subscribe to my list. I give them something of value. So they, these people have either completed a quiz that I've put out there. They have uh, downloaded a PDF, downloaded a tool, um, gotten some type of opt-in or they've attended one of my master classes, attended one of my webinars and gotten something of value out of that and then stuck around to hear more about what we do. So uh, my opinion is that you should never assume that your newsletter is the value. It's, it's a tool for you to do outreach and awareness, but you need to be offering something of value on the front end in order to get people to stand in line to give you their email. So if we're not calling a newsletter, what are we calling it? Uh, does it need a name? It feels like it needs a name. <laughs> I, I'd say I don't have a name for it. Just I, these are my emails that go out, right? I just email my 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 audience, email my list um, on a weekly basis. It's just emails, uh, but because it's not outward facing, I don't say subscribe to my blank. Um, it just says download my cash flow forecast tool, and they download it. And then there's a little box that says, would you like to subscribe for email updates? Like you guys all see these on checkout pages and stuff. We have one of those boxes and if they, it's pre-checked. So if they check, if they go through the process and it's checked, they'll be subscribed. If they uncheck it, they won't be. But um, it just says subscribe to more communication or something like that. We don't have a real, real name for the, uh, the sequence. If you like, we call them, we have sequence names in our CRM and all that, but like we don't outwardly say what it is. So you're calling emails, emails, instead of calling emails, newsletters. Yeah. Okay. And then you said sequence, what are you using for the sequences software wise? Uh, I currently use Kajabi. I just transitioned off of Infusionsoft, which is also a great product for that. Um, it's great to schedule sequences. You can tag, you can segment these people, uh, based on how they found you, based on what they downloaded, based on where they're at in their business. Um, and, uh, I get a lot of leads in, for example, from speaking in mastermind groups and business coaching communities. So we do, uh, they'll, they'll download something at the end of a speech or I'll drop a link, they'll subscribe and they'll be tagged as, uh, they're from like, if they're from Chris's group or whatever. And, uh, and then I'll know, and I could actually do, you know, follow-ups. Hey, we talked about this in the call. How are you doing with that? Um, there's just a, a, a ton of opportunity here to segment and to have very specific communication that doesn't feel like it's a broadcast to the whole world. We do that as well, but um, I, the value of segmentation is huge. I think that's a really good point, right? Because advice that's written for everybody is really written for no one, right? You know, and, and, and so if, if, you're, if you're spending time putting together this content that's going to apply to 80, 90% of taxpayers, then zero percent of taxpayers are probably going to be interested in it right <laughs> like it's it's just advice that 
you know, is out there probably a million ways already. But if you're focusing on that 1% that you're really going after, right, then you can really create some value for them that might be missing in all of that general, uh, you know, fluff that's already out there. Yeah. And it just feels more personal, feels more I'm talking to them as opposed to, to everyone. When people feel like you're talking to them personally, um, one of my coaches said, especially when it comes to Instagram. So if you're active on Instagram and you're on stories and you're holding your phone like this and you're saying, Hey guys, so this is what's going on. Da, 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 da. You never start with, Hey guys, why? There's one person on the other side of that phone. There's only one person that's listening to you. So you're talking like you're talking to your friend. And every single person who's going to watch that, the only person who, who knows that they're talking to a bunch of different people is you. But on the other end of that, when they're receiving it, you have to say, hey, listen, I have an idea. Or, hey, listen, I want your opinion on something. That's way more compelling for someone to respond and engage with you than, hey, guys, this is what I'm up to, and make it about them. It's always about them. Um, I, I follow very, very closely uh, Donald Miller and the book Building a Story Brand. It's a brilliant book, brilliant model, and um, it basically articulates that in the story of the transformation for your client, your client is the hero, not you. If the first thing on your website is about us, you've made yourself the hero, and they're disengaged. What you are is Yoda. <laughs> what you are is the guide. You're Rafiki. You're whatever. You are the one, you, the character you are in that movie is the transformational guide that brings the hero to victory. And when you can understand your role in the customer's transformation, that is insanely powerful because then you show up as, hey, I can help you win the day. I can help you be victorious. I can help you get through this problem. Um, and that's what all of your marketing should be driving towards is how we can help you, not what we do. It's very different. I noticed different. that a lot in the tax prep industry, right? It, this, this notion, this sense yeah. that we are working magic on the return, right? That's getting this great result for the client. And I, I always tell my clients whenever they come back and they say, Hey, you know, we switched to you this year and you know, we got a bigger refund, which who cares, right? <laughs> or whatever. But you know, they'll think this was a much better outcome for them. And I'll always remind them, you did the hard work, right? You made the money. You had the withholding coming out of your paychecks. You made those estimated payments, right? You qualified for those credits. I didn't do anything. I just put the, you know, not not that there wasn't important work and, and valuable work that went into it, but from their perspective, I want to make sure that they understand, right, that they're the ones doing the heavy lifting here, right? You know, I'm helping them get to the result mm -hmm. that they want, but they're the ones that actually have to go out there and fight the battle every day of making money, making the estimated payments, doing all that hard work. And, and yeah, I think that gets lost both among the way we talk about the the work we're doing right like we yes it's hard work dealing with irs is hard work or dealing with non-responsive clients is hard work right but on the flip side of that we have to keep the perspective that our clients are the ones that are out there really making all this happen because without them we don't have our firms we don't have our practices right um yeah and, and so i i i I am also a big fan of that building a story brand that was we, we did a episode uh, a few episodes ago about our favorite books that was that was a contender in my list I like um, I like Marcus Sheridan's they ask you answer um, which is of a similar mindset but your mm -hmm. clients or your prospective clients most importantly right are out there with questions right and using your content to answer that question. Right. And, and like you said, from that individual perspective, right, someone out there is asking this question in this moment. Are you going to be the one to answer it for them?
right? And if so, then that's a potential client for you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that too many practitioners right now think they're selling information and then they'll withhold information. So they, the, I'm not going to, I actually see this in the Facebook groups all the time. It drives me freaking crazy where they're like, I wouldn't tell the client that I wouldn't answer that question. I'm like, answer all the questions. I answer all the questions for free. I, I answered so many questions via text message last night. I answered all these questions that, that normally people would pay for. Why? Because they don't pay for information anymore. We have Google. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Like, like there's no reason to pay for information. In these Facebook groups with their accountants just pulling my hair out at, at, no, I know we're both in the Facebook groups doing the same comments because I agree <laughs> with a lot of what you say and I'm jumping and going, Hey, you should absolutely give away as much information as possible within, you know, within a risk tolerance of what you're willing to say, right? Um, and be very matter of fact. If you can do that eloquently, then then do it. Um, but what they're paying for is transformation, not information. So if they want to actually implement all this here, you know, they they'll know my name. Why? Because I was in the comment section helping them. And that's, that's what my marketing is grounded in. Again, it goes all the way back to trust, all the way back to reliability, because there are so many CPAs out there right now think they're selling information and that they have an upper hand and that they can just let the client wait until they can get back to them uh, and they don't respond or they ghost them or they leave them hanging. The number one thing that people come to me with is my, I just don't feel like my CPA is looking out for me. I just don't feel like my CPA is actually saving me money. I just don't feel like this what they're perceiving is cracks in the foundation of trust. They're starting to mistrust their provider, their service provider. So they come to me and I say, so why are you coming to me? And they said, because like fundamentally they trust me and people will send me, I mean, how many times I'm not going to go on this cause that will take a whole nother episode, but social media tax tips and the, the videos of people saying deduct your G wagon. Right. I get those in my DMS constantly from people, from followers who go, is this legit? Can you, can you bust this one? Can you like say something about this? And it's funny because I'm getting them constantly in my DMS going, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Is this true? And what's interesting is I'm going, wow, there's so much trust here that they're taking what they're getting from another provider and coming into my DMS and saying, Shannon, is this true? And I'm like, that's pretty cool. Even though it's like, you would think, oh, slightly annoying that, I, <laughs> that I'm going through all these things. That I'm like the, I'm not the authority on these videos, but it's a, it, it's a statement on, let me check with Shannon to see if this is real. And that's pretty cool to be in that position. So that's why I always encourage those of you listening who are CPAs, EAs, or, or accountants, um, you have to build trust. And I think especially um, the especially when it comes to clients with, with those questions. And this ties back to what we were talking about early in the show was the, the, you have to build it into the relationship that you're there and available to answer those questions. And that that's part of what they're already paying for. I, I, I had similar interactions. I, I actually got a client two years ago, um, right at two years ago, because it was late 2020 when we were still in the very early stages of what is all of this economic and tax relief for COVID going to look like, especially for small business owners. And I got a client who came to me because she called her CPA at the time to ask if she should look into getting a paycheck protection program loan. And after about a 20 minute call, they decided that it wasn't necessary for her, um, that, you know, her business wasn't 
that badly affected. And so there would probably be some forgiveness issues. And this was when we really didn't know much about, you know, what all that was going to look like. Well, three days later, she gets an invoice from the CPA for a full hour of, of a phone call. Right. And, you know, a full hour of billable time. And in her mind, she's saying, I just had a quick you know, a quick question, which, you know, we all need to be wary of quick questions, oh, yeah. right? Because they never are quick questions. But in her mind, this was a quick question. It was a 20 minute phone call. It was a, it was about a situation that could potentially be devastating for her and her colleagues and, you know, all of us, right, at the time. Um, but But then to get a bill for that a few days later, to her, it just completely broke any sense of trust. And so, you know, a few days later, she's shopping for a new accountant, right? And, and, and I think, I think mm-hmm. we don't give, you know, enough, uh, you know, we don't put enough importance on those kinds of interactions that to us are a dime a dozen, right? We go through them all, all day, every day over on phone calls, face-to-face email, and they can be in the long run devastating to both, to, to those client relationships. Absolutely. I totally agree. And the, you know, if you're willing to invest 20 or so minutes in answering a few quote unquote quick questions, uh, that can lead to a really high paying client potentially. But again, you have to be mindful of where you're directing that time. Like, are you answering everyone's questions? No. But to our earlier point, you have to get into that segmentation of, well, this is a high potential person. Um, I ask questions like, let's say it's in the text messages. This happened last night. Someone texted me last night saying, I've been following your podcast. I've been following you for a while. I just got my tax return back for 2021 and I'm suspicious that I'm not getting all the deductions I'm entitled to based on what I've learned from your show. So I said, okay, um, tell you what, I'm going to give you an invite to my portal, jump in there, drop the tax return. I'll spend about 10 minutes scanning it. It was a schedule C. Um, I said, what's your, I said, I asked her what her profit was and she told me and I said, okay, good. So I, I scanned it and, um, missed opportunity of $14,000 in tax savings with an S corporation took me five minutes. You guys know exactly what I looked for. And I, I went right down to it and I said, that's, that's the case. I ran it through my S corp savings calculator. I even pasted, here's the cal- like, here's my calculation. Why? Because I don't care if they take them. What are they going to do with that? It was like a screenshot of the calc. And I said, this is what, uh, I would think that, that you could take advantage of. Um, not knowing I disclaimed the crap out of the email. I said, I'm not your CPA. I'm not your tax preparer. You requested me to do a 10 minute cursory review. And these are the observations that I would have questions about. And I just said, there could be, I was very matter of fact, I'm also a former auditor. So I'm good with the words. Sometimes there could be, or it appears that there is an opportunity to save about this much money in S corporation or in self-employment taxes through an S corporation. And she was just wowed and said, wow, paying my CPA for a year, never told me that. In 10 minutes, I just created a relationship that that was just very impactful. So I think it's just about like using that time wisely to build those relationships and to establish that trust. It's it, Answer the quick questions, but give people a forum and a method and a funnel way to get questions to you and for you to answer them. I also have a... Um, you could use a Facebook group, but I have a circle community where I tell people if they have quick questions to jump into that community and post it as a question so that other people can weigh in and see the answers. Also, I have the podcast where every time I get a quick question, it turns into an episode because then I get that question again and I send a link to the show. So it becomes a time saver and everyone's happy. So it's really about leveraging those quick questions to create value as opposed to seeing them as time sucks. 
That's awesome. I love that. Basically just repurposing the quick questions into things that those leads or prospects can then ingest and then ingest further based like subscribing to your podcast or subscribing to your, what we're not calling a newsletter or subscribing to your, to your text <laughs> chain or whatever it is. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. So Shannon, they, they think, you know, that they think that, um, if Shannon's willing to tell me all this for free, then what am I going to get from actually paying her? And that's actually, that's, that's what I base it off right. of. That makes a lot of sense. So we're bumping up against time. We've covered a, a ton of ground about how to package services, how to market services, how to communicate, how to build trust. If a listener of this podcast episode was going to take three takeaways from all of that, what would you say that they are? So first of all, like what works for me doesn't work for everyone. Feel free to take it as inspiration. If this is something that aligns with your core values as a firm and what you want to build, then by all means, um, take as many pieces as you want from it. But there's never a, a tone of this is how you should do it. I can't tell anyone how they should run their business. Um, but I would say number one is make sure all of your marketing is, is designed in a way to build trust because that's really where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. If you're just going through the motions, checking the box and saying, I did a Facebook post, why is nothing happening? That's not enough. It's not superficial. It has to be intentional about what are you saying and getting your messaging right. Um, on that note, I would say invest in a really good copywriter before you do a website. Invest in a really good copywriter to do social media who understands how customers think and understands what language to use that is uh, that will evoke the right emotion or the right call to action. Um, and always use a call to action, by the way. Um, and I would say uh, take the quick questions and never dismiss an opportunity to share knowledge and to build that trust with someone who is approaching you and asking because what they're really doing is um, – kicking off the start of a relationship should you choose to accept it. So uh, never turn down people in your ecosystem. Just understand your customer journey and where they're going to fit into that and where you want them to land. Uh, because when you understand that, you really know how to interact with each type of person who comes your way. Very cool. Well, thank you, Shannon. This has been uh, really interesting. I, I, you know, I, I've got a lot of efforts out there to improve my firm's marketing, but this is still just giving me so many great ideas and, you know, showing me that there's still a lot of room uh, for improving on that. And I think as uh, accountants, we really downplay the importance of our marketing and sales uh, and, and how we're structuring that um, because it's not just about trying to get more money, right? It's not a money grab. It's about trying to help more people. And that's ultimately what, for most of us, what got us into this field, right? Um, so absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Shannon. Uh, Chris, thank you. Uh, and this has been another episode of the CPA Advisory Show. Hey, it's Jeremy. Thanks for listening to the CPA Advisory Show. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. Leave a rating and write us a review. We'll probably read your review on the air too. To catch all the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at CPA Advisory Show. If you have a topic or guest you'd like to hear on the show, let us know by emailing host at cpaadvisoryshow.com. Thanks again. 